Hello, and welcome to We Live for Saturday, your favorite college football podcast. I'm your co-host, Mike, and with me, as always, is your other co-host, John. John, how are you doing this evening? You're all right, man. Had a great day. Uh, just went into New York City to go see a Broadway show, Sweeney Todd. Uh, not that many people are interested in that, but it was awesome. It was great. Wonderful day awesome. with my fiance. Had a great time. Sounds like a good time for sure. Yeah, it was great. I had a very good time. I had a very cold time at the game yesterday. Yeah? Yeah. It was cold, but it was ultimately a fun time. And I managed to bundle up kind of the right amount. There's kind of an... There's kind of a science to it, you know, for sure with the layers and like, are you going to wear like long underwear or spandex and Mm -hmm. like how many layers of that do you need? Are you going to go bottom and top or are you just going to go top? You know, yeah, they're different or just bottom. You know, there are different decisions you have to make. How many pairs of socks are you going to wear? Yeah, well, is yeah. it humid out? Is there still some humidity in the air? Is there is it a dry cold? Like you know, you gotta still. Be, and, and in the fall, it's it's hard to find that balance in Minnesota. It kind of takes yeah. a little while. So I get it. I get it. I remember. I would I would call what happened yesterday winter. I would okay. call it an October blast of winter. I mean, the high was thirty four. Yeah, fair. Yeah, fair. but uh, but it was a good time. Um, obviously, we'll get into how that game went. But uh, yeah, that's I awesome. am excited to talk about these games and had a good time this weekend. That's great. Me too, man. All right. Should we get into it? Yeah. Well, first, let me just start with telling everybody uh, where to find us. You know, you can find Absolutely. us on, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Podcast Addict. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at we live for b one g sat. That's at we live for b one g sat. And you can also email us. Um, like I've said in previous episodes, we are looking to start accumulating questions for any mailbag, uh, future mailbag episodes. So you can email us. Uh, we live for Saturday b one g at gmail dot com. That's we live for Saturday b one g at gmail dot com. You can also you know uh, hit us up on Twitter too for any questions or comments or anything like that. Yes, sounds good. And yes, please, we love to engage. So be we're happy to engage with you. So reach out to us, you know, DM us, whatever. For sure. All right. Let's get into these games. Let's do it. We had our first game, the Northwestern Wildcats 33, the Maryland Terrapins 27. Wow, this was the upset of the weekend in the Big Ten as Maryland was a 13 and a half point favorite coming into this game, John. Yeah, just a wild one to follow from the start. Um, I got this game completely wrong. So did I. (laughs) Yeah, and I am excited to talk about it. Me too. All right. Total yards. Northwestern had 364 to Maryland's 391. So pretty even offensive stats. Uh, in the passing game, Maryland managed 274 yards, but had to throw it 47 times to get there. In contrast, Northwestern passed for nine fewer yards than Maryland, but it only took half as many throws as Maryland to achieve that. Um, Maryland's running game wasn't efficient, but they stuck with it to the tune of 40 attempts. Or Northwestern's running game wasn't efficient, excuse me, but they stuck with it to the tune of 40 attempts. Maryland had 117 yards rushing on 4.3 yards per rush. Makes you wonder if maybe Maryland would have been a little better off running the ball more often. Mm-hmm. Uh, both teams committed a bunch of penalties, including some dumb ones. For Northwestern, Brandon Sullivan was great, 
16 for 23, 265 yards and 11 and a half yards per attempt, two TDs, no picks and a QBR of 82.5. That is, a, is an impressive day from the cats backup QB. Yeah. He also led Northwestern in rushing with 14 carries for 56 yards on four yards per rush. So his ability to scramble and get out of trouble was a big boon to Northwestern yesterday. Um, especially considering running back Cam Porter had just 27 yards on his 10 attempts. Receiving wise, Sullivan spread it out to a bunch of different receivers. Bryce Kurtz managed to score a TD in one of his three catches. So let's praise him for that. Um, Coco Azama had a nice day for the Cats with an interception. Three kick returns for 94 yards, which is a 31 plus yard average, four tackles, and a pass defended. That's a good day on defense and special teams, John. Absolutely. And for Maryland, Leah Tugavailo was 30 for 47 for 274 yards and just 5.8 yards per attempt, three TDs and a pick. He also had a fumble recovered. Um, he also had a fumble, yeah, that was recovered by Maryland. Um, so despite putting up some stats, it was not a great day for Leah. 5.8 yards per attempt just isn't explosive enough when the passing game is the focal point of your offense like it is with Maryland. Uh, Maryland ran the ball effectively with Colby McDonald and Roman Hemby. The problem is both guys combined got nine carries despite averaging 8.6 and 6.8 yards per carry respectively. I think like another coach we'll talk about later, John, Mike Loxley has a tendency to throw the ball too much in games. He would be better off making some kind of commitment to the running game. Yeah. I'm not saying Maryland should change its offense as it's a good offense, but they have to trust the running game more when they have a speed advantage like they did in a game like this, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jay Sean Jones had 78 yards on nine catches to lead the way for Maryland. Corey Deitches and Caden Prather chipped in 46 and 53 yards, respectively. And yeah, John, what did you think? What are your thoughts about this game? Well, I, you know, it's still, it still stings, and it's probably going to sting towards the end of the season as well. But like losing to Northwestern does not look as bad for the Gophers right now. Um, <laughs> like, I mean, they're competitive. Uh, they are. They are. I mean, this is this is a good team, and and what Braun is doing there is in, incredibly. Uh, I mean, I'm just I'm just so impressed, man. I really am. And He's got to be in the coach of the year discussion. Has to be absolutely. And he has this team rolling, and with a backup quarterback, you know Sullivan. I know he had some starts last year, but like he looks fantastic. He really looks like he's coming into his own. Yeah, he was throwing the ball well. He could you know make plays happen with his legs. He was getting the running backs involved in the game. You know, I'm that offense just looks like it's clicking pretty well. I know that it's not a a very effective running game, but they can do just enough. Um, And obviously you have Sullivan. So, you know, that kind of takes care of that in a lot of ways. And he's he just makes a lot of smart decisions. You know, he knows when to throw the ball away. He knows when to when to move and get out of the pocket. Um, So it's just it's really good to see. And plus, he's finding some targets downfield. And defensively, man, like they were doing good. They were getting pressure on Talia all day. And they did. They har- really harassed him. Oh, yeah. I mean, he he's so fast and quick that he can get away. But like he was constantly on the move. And I know sometimes he likes that. But I don't think it was intended to be that way that, uh, during this game. It didn't look that way. He was running for his life on a number of occasions. Yeah. And it really came. It came out and hurt them early because Maryland had a really good first drive. Mm-hmm. Um, easy touchdown. They scored on a pretty play action pass. You know, they had this. They always have these fantastic scripted drives. Mike Loxley is like the king of that. Right. Yeah. And they seemingly had all the momentum and they had the ball back. Mm-hmm. And then Leah has this terrible turnover, which leads to an easy TD for Northwestern. 
and that made it seven to seven. You know, neither team played very well on defense in the first half, but when Leah fumbled on that sack, it put Northwestern on the Terps 12 yard line. Um, and Northwestern made clutch plays like that seemingly all game. And, you know, and North and Maryland made sort of befuddling errors all game too. Absolutely, man. I was just going to say that like they shot themselves in the foot in a lot of crucial situations and then also like would get penalties when when they, you know, they just couldn't couldn't uh, afford that. So I, I and they also were having some issues tr- uh, finishing. You know, that's the other thing I noticed, like they would that just start the to stall thing. Yeah. So that was interesting and not and very unlike what I've seen, you know, what we've seen from Maryland this year. And, you know, also sometimes I wonder, too, like I understand Talia is fantastic and, and this is not taking away from him or his wide receivers, but he's always going for the home run. He yeah. rarely takes any checkdowns. He, he's constantly like every pass seems to me like he's going for, you know, the touchdown like and, and that's cr- great. But. You know, it, sometimes when you're dealing with a, a defense who seems to have that figured out and their their coverage is good enough, man, like it's just not always there. And then you end up with picks and, you know, or going three and out. So I just uh, it, it's interesting to me to see that. And there, and I, like I said before, man, I, that offensive line to me did not have a good day. It just didn't. It wasn't blocking yeah. well. So there was not a lot of good pass protection. And then their defense was giving up yards through the air. Um, you know, I think you, you made this comment during the game. Um, you said that the defense looked hung over from the previous week. So, you know, yeah, it's, it was a lot of missed tackles too. That's another thing. A lot was, of missed tackles, yeah. a lot of them. So. And that was, that was giving, you know, it looked like they were in position to make plays and stop Northwestern. And then Northwestern was always getting those extra yards and those yards after contact. And that makes a difference. That Absolutely. makes a big difference in a game like this. Yep. Um, I got to give a shout out. Xander Mueller for the Cats had multiple big plays on two separate goal line stands. So they helped. They that helped hold Maryland three points on those two goal line situations as they had to settle for a field goal one drive and the other drive they went for it on fourth down and turned it over on downs and that was a beautiful goal line stand too. Absolutely Balls on the one. Cats bowed up on third down sneak and just stuffed it up the middle. Then on fourth down, you know, you think they're going to sneak it again, but they go with the naked boot and they were sitting on that boot. They they knew that that's what Maryland was going to do. And they were all over every receiving option. I mean, Talia did not have a chance yep. on that. So that was really impressive stuff. That was the difference in the game for the Cats, right? Those two Absolutely. goal line stands. This was yeah. a close game. This was a one score game. You know, if Maryland gets a touchdown and either one of those times, or gets a touchdown on the not not on either one, but if they get a touchdown on the one where they turned it over on downs, that's the difference in the game, probably. Absolutely. I mean, this Northwestern team, I you know I don't think anybody saw this coming, obviously, and I know no. all, all the controversy at the beginning of the year, like where everyone was like, oh, "All right, cool. Well, now this is a guarantee that they're going to be you know one and eleven or t- you know two and ten or whatever." But like now, everyone in the Big Ten West should watch out this is this they are a threat and so be prepared i'm not saying you're gonna lose but this team could upset pretty much anybody at this point in my opinion yeah 
Yeah, they're they're feisty, man, and they're pulling. They're doing things that good teams do, where they pull off plays they probably shouldn't. Sometime, like I'm thinking, you texted me saying Sullivan has improved his throwing the ball down the field, and I agree. Mm-hmm. But the most impressive play to me was when he was getting tackled on that yeah. pass to Cam Court. He's getting sacked. Yeah, and he turns and he throws this rainbow up in the air. <laughs> Um, to Cam Porter, who kind of catches it and falls into the end zone. Yeah, that was like, amazing. Yeah, they're just that's, making play like plays that you winning plays. That's poise, man. I mean, like he just he's he's totally locked in, and that's amazing to see. So, yeah, man, full credit to Northwestern Maryland. Uh, I I this is just every season we get to this point, and they look fantastic throughout the first half, and then. They just start to fall apart. Now, is their season, you know, over? No, they could still finish with a really good record. They could play, you know, they could, you know, do a lot better from here on out. And you know, but I just don't, I don't know, man. I don't know what's going on and why that continues to happen every year. Is this another Mike Loxley second half of the season nosedive? Because they just dropped a third consecutive game. Yeah. They were five and zero, oh, and now they're five and three. Yeah. And frankly, early in this game, I thought they were going to run away with it. Me too. Um, It looked like they were winning up front. It looked like they had the better players. And Northwestern just turned that on on its head. And I just, I don't know, man, if they can't pull off this game, like I'm, they've, they've really got to bounce back. I think whatever, I don't even know who they play next week, but Uh, Maryland plays one second here. I got it. Um, They play Penn state. So. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they got to really bounce back. Yep. Big time. They got to really bounce back. Although Penn State did look a little vulnerable this week. They did. They did. True. True. And we'll get to that as well. For sure. Um, Why didn't Maryland run the ball more? I don't know. Like Maryland <laughs> could run the ball. It was clear they could run the ball. Yeah. And Mike Loxley is throwing all these passes on early downs. And I'm like, you're better than they are up front. Yeah. Like lean into that. But it's like he wants to win the game a certain way, and that way is thro- is you know throwing a bunch of passes down the field. And it's like you said, you know, it's Leah throws too many of those. But it's like who's coaching Leah? Yeah, well, that's just it. Like I, I feel like it. he wants to run up that score so bad that he do- he doesn't when it stops working, he just doesn't give up on it, and that's why he continues to you know like the play calls are continuously like t- you know telling Talia to just throw it throw it as far as you can down the field. Who care? Everything's a freaking YOLO shot and just go for it. And even when the run is working, we're just going to, we'll throw that in, mix it in every once in a while to take some pressure off you. But it just, it doesn't make sense to me because the other thing too, is they have leaned on the run a little bit more in, in previous yes. games. Yes. So why go away from it? I don't get it. Yeah. I don't know. It was a frustrating watching them do that. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, like, it was on par. It's like how I felt. Oh man. Oregon State last night did this thing where it was the end of the half and they were going to kick a field goal and go to half. There's two seconds left. Yeah. And instead, from like the 25-yard line, they did a fake field goal run by the kicker. Like the kicker was going to run 25 yards in the end zone wow. with no time to run another play. That's how I felt watching Mike Loxley at times. Yep. Like just forcing the, the passes, forcing passes when he should have been running the ball because he had a distinct advantage there. Yep. Yeah. I'm with you. I don't know. 
All right. <laughs> with the win, Maryland goes to five and three. Or sorry, with the win, Northwestern goes to four and four. With the loss, Maryland drops a third consecutive game to go to five and three. All right. Going to the next game. We had the number 10 Penn State Nittany Lions 33, Indiana Hoosiers 24. Mm. This was a wild game. Yeah. I'm excited to break this down because we didn't have any expectations going into this game for how it went, and it was competitive throughout. Total yards. Penn State had 342 to IU's 349, so almost identical yards-wise. Drew Aller was 20 for 31 for 210 yards on 6.8 yards per attempt, three TDs and a pick and a QBR 57.2. John, Drew Aller finally threw an interception at the collegiate level and it took a Tom Allen coach defense for it to happen. How about that, huh? <laughs> That's amazing, yeah. Didn't expect that. No. <laughs> All right. Katron Allen had a nice day for Penn State with 81 yards and 18 carries for 4.5 yards per rush. Singleton chipped in 50 yards, but on just 3.3 yards per rush. Uh, Keandre Lambert-Smith was once again the star with six grabs for 96 yards and a TD. Fantastic day for him. Nobody else really had a prolific receiving day for Penn State. They did throw the ball to Nicholas Singleton and Katron Allen successfully seven times, and I like to see that. I think you have to get the ball to your playmakers any way you can, and it's good to get running backs involved in the passing game. Yeah. On defense, junior safety Jalen Reed had eight tackles, a tackle for loss, and an interception. He returned 17 yards. So huge day for him, and he deserves to be singled out for praise. Great job there. For Indiana, uh, Soresby played the best he has all year, I thought, John. Mm-hmm. I saw some people on Twitter calling for Taven Jackson during the game. I saw that happening. Why? Yeah, I that's what I was wondering. I was like, because with all the turnovers he had, but Soresby proved these people wrong. I th- pro- proved those people wrong. I think. Yeah, uh, completing thirteen of nineteen passes for two hundred sixty nine yards on an unbelievable fourteen point two yards per attempt, three TDs, and he did throw a pick. To be fair, but it was just the one pick, and he played pretty great. Other than that, against this Penn State defense, like yes, against a great Penn State defense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, For IU, Josh Henderson had 57 yards and 4.8 yards per rush. The IU receivers had a big day as uh, Dequeese Carter and Donovan McCulley had huge days combining for 200 yards and two TDs on just seven catches. 200 yards on seven catches, John. That's one of the craziest stats I've seen in quite a while. It's nuts. It's IU passing offense looked unstoppable in the first half. Both teams threw the ball pretty well, but IU was more explosive in the passing game. They had a 69-yard TD pass and a 90-yard touchdown pass, both in the first half of that game. Just an amazing start to the game for the Hoosiers. Um, I'm going to run quickly through some of my early game thoughts as I think they illustrate how Penn State managed to win a game where they got flat-out outplayed for the whole first half and a game where Indiana was competitive for throughout. And then I'll, then I'll bounce it to you. Sure. All right. So good D by huge Hoosiers early. Amazing long TD pass on a slot fade by the Hoosiers, 7-0 Indiana. Hoosiers, terrible muffed punt recovered by Penn State. These kinds of mistakes are why Indiana hasn't been able to win games in conference, is what I wrote. This leads to a 4th and 1 TD for Penn State on a play-action pass to make it 7-7. So Indiana should have been up 7-0 at this point, and what could be a turning point in the game, and edit 
it was a turning point in the game. In fact, uh, Aller continues to struggling to throw the ball downfield because he really was in the first half and for parts of the game. And the Hoosiers defense looks good early in this game. Another long TD pass for Indiana, 14-7 on a blown coverage. So those are my thoughts, John. Indiana was up 14-7. Without that muff punt, they would have been up 14-0 in a game they only lost by nine points. Yeah. So I was really impressed by what the Hoosiers did yesterday. They pushed Penn State to the limit, might have won if not for those costly self-inflicted errors in the form of those two turnovers and five penalties. But John, oh, tough one to lose for Indiana. It was because you're absolutely right, man. I mean, they looked like they were in control that whole first half, and and you know, and really, you know, that that muff punt really hurt them. It was just, it was, it was those those stupid mistakes that you can't make against a team this good. Um, I mean, you can't make it against really any opponent, and that's how you lose. But like, especially Penn State. Um, yeah. But even still, though, like they fought back, man. I and oh, I was impressed. Like, and it's funny, like like Indiana <laughs> looked solid against Ohio State early in the season, and now against Penn yeah. State, I'm like, what's going on here? Like, it's it's nuts. But it's, I want to see the team I saw yesterday. I want to see that team on other days against yes. different teams. Well, I mean, the, you know, I absolutely, I, I totally agree, man. You know, and. You know, and the thing like that's that's also a little confusing. And I, you know, I know they had a big game last week. Uh, you know, Penn State played Ohio State, and I know that was big. And so they, you know, a little hungover maybe, but but like it was, they were just having a lot of trouble moving the ball down the field. And that yeah. first half, their O line was having a lot of trouble with with the pass pro. Like like they were letting like a lot of guys get to Aller. Man, there was there was too much pressure on him. And and like and then defense. Indiana D really played well. Oh, they, they really did. did. Absolutely. But even Penn State's defense had some had had trouble, obviously, as we saw with like some busting coverage, like unlike some really that. bad blown coverage, really I mean, bad. The 90 yard touchdown. He just beat the guy. That's just yeah. he, the defender was there. He just beat him. But the 69 yeah. yard coverage touchdown was a blown coverage. Yeah, absolutely. It was well, a and- nice pass. He hit him in stride yeah. so that he could go the whole way. So but yeah, there was I mean, there was nobody there. But it didn't even look good the rest of the game. Like it just didn't. Like Sorsby, Sorsby was able to to throw the ball on this Penn State defense pretty yeah. effectively throughout. Um, you know, I, it wasn't anything incredible all the time, but like he was able to move the ball down the field pretty effectively, and that I was not expecting. Um, but you know, I, and and again, anybody who was calling for for Tavon Jackson to go in over Sorsby is just crazy at this point, in my opinion. I think Sorsby is solid. I get it. He threw a pick, but like, dude. You know, overall, he, he really came. He really played well, though. Yes, he did. You know, I mean, he, he deserves credit for how well he played yesterday. He played like a guy who deserves to be the starting quarterback on a Big Ten team. Totally agree, man. You know, I, I totally agree. And that that's what they need to go. The only the only like the major issue I have with with Indiana is, again, you know, their running game. I, I just. Yeah. They have to. I don't know if that's going to ever be a possibility, which is why they were throwing the ball all over the place. Maybe they just have kind of given up on that. But they got to find something there to, you know, take some pressure off of Soresby. But defensively, man, they were really good. They were fantastic. I um against a, a really good Penn State team. So I don't think Indiana should feel any kind of shame for how you know losing this game at this point. If this Indiana team shows up against Wisconsin next week, mm-hmm. I'm not saying they win, but that is an interesting game. Absolutely. I agree. That's a game that I want to watch. Yep. Same. I'm yeah. with you, man. Um, 
So, yeah, it's the by far the best Indiana's played all year, but they still lost. So where does it leave them? I just think they got to they got to break through and find a way to win one of these games. They've yeah. been they've done all but, you know, they've done everything but win these ga- some a game. They got to break through and win a game. Yeah, just I think that they've got the pieces, man. You know, just can't shoot yourself in the foot and and just continue with that, you know, find some consistency and I think they could do it. Yeah. And they have, you know, they have several, you know, they have got a handful more chances. So hopefully, you know, we'll see if they can break through and do that. Um, John, Penn State and Ohio State played a knockdown drag out Big Ten battle last week. Both teams seem to play below their abilities this week due to being a letdown spot after a big game kind of situation. I do think Penn State will bounce back and play better next week. I think both Penn State and Ohio State. We're just, I mean, they really, they really put it all into last week. And I think they didn't have as much left in the tank as they normally do. Yeah, I agree. I'm with you on that one. All right. With the win, the Penn State Nittany Lions ascend to seven and one. With the loss, the Indiana Hoosiers drop to two and six. All right. Next game up, we've got the Nebraska Cornhuskers 31. The Purdue Boilermakers, 14. Total yards, Nebraska had 277. Purdue had just 195. Yikes to Purdue going under 200 yards, John. Mm-hmm. That's a brutal offensive performance from the Boilermaker offense and a standout defensive performance from the Nebraska D. Yep. It was Purdue's fewest total yards in four seasons and fewest passing yards since 2014 with just 99 yards passing. Wow. Um, Purdue couldn't run the ball or throw the ball, averaging just three point or three yards per attempt passing and three point three yards per rush running. Purdue also had nine penalties for ninety nine yards, and you absolutely can't do that if you're going to win games in this league. Boilermakers had three turnovers, a fumble, lost, and two picks. By contrast, Nebraska had five fumbles and lost four of them. Purdue converted two of those fumbles into touchdowns. So it was a pretty sloppy day. It was so bad. The turnovers were insane, dude. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, it's jarring when you watch a game like that and they just keep turning it over to each other. And you're just like, come on now. Nebraska, it felt like they were really trying to lose that game. Like they, they were really working hard at it for a while is what it looked like. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Um, Nebraska's Heinrich Harburg was an efficient six of 11 for 122 yards, two TDs and zero picks. I know they only threw it 11 times, John, but this is Harburg's best passing performance yet. And he should get credit for that. Yeah, absolutely. Emmett Johnson led the way for Nebraska with 76 yards and 5.8 yards per rush. Harburg was shut down on the ground though, with just 22 yards and 19 carries. And he's been their leading rusher. So it's interesting that they were able to get it done despite him getting shut down. Um, the Huskers scored two TDs in less than two minutes in the second quarter to take control of this game. Harburg led a 15-play drive, ending in a one-yard TD pass to Thomas Fedone. Then Tommy Hill had an interception on the next possession. The very next play, Harburg hit Jalen Lloyd in stride for the aforementioned uh, 73-yard score. That was beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. So that that changed the game and kind of put Nebraska in the driver's seat from there on out. Um, for Nebraska, Isaac Gifford had 10 tackles and two tackles for loss. So shout out to him. And for Purdue, John Hudson card had a brutal day, 
going 16 for 32 for 100 yards, 3.1 yards per attempt, one TD, two picks, and a QBR of 10.6. That is, that's a really rough day at the office. Yeah. Uh, Devin Mockaby at 42 yards and seven carries, but for some reason only had seven carries, which I'm not exactly sure if he got banged up or something, what happened there. Um, Tyrone Tracy had just 29 yards on 10 carries. So he was not effective like he usually is. And Jaden Dixon veal led Purdue with 38 yards and four catches. Um, Purdue struggled to do anything offensively, which made it impossible to sustain drives. The Huskers blocked a field goal and Quinn Newsom ran back for a score. So they managed to build a 24 zero lead. And then they survived all those late turnovers, which made the final score probably closer than it should have been. Um, this Nebraska D keeps getting better and better. John, what did you think about this game? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> that Nebraska defense is, is legit and they definitely kept them in this game, you know, uh, but at the same time, you know, Purdue just, I don't know. I don't know what to say anymore. We talk about it every single freaking week about that offensive line. I think it's full rough. on Hudson card is a very talented quarterback. Yes. Yes, he is. He can't do it alone and he can't do it when he is constantly running for his freaking life, man. And I don't know what else to say. Like, it's just, it's really tough to watch because you see the talent. I mean, he is trying to be a hero at like every single play and keeping it alive as much as he can. And, and, and I just, I feel bad for him. I feel really bad, you know, because I think if he had an offensive line, you know, he could be incredibly effective. Um, so you know, that's, it's tough to watch that. And, um, but Nebraska though, um, you know, they, they, they had definitely had some, some good, uh, some flashes in on the offense. I think Harburg is getting better at throwing the ball. Um, I know that it's still not, you know, it's not amazing, but they're making some good connections there, especially him and Fedoni continue to look better. Um, and that, like I said already, that, that long TD pass to, to Jalen Lloyd was just perfect that was that, that was, was great. great yeah so you can see the talent there and you know uh but at the same time like what's going on with the all these fumbles is it still an issue and then what was sims doing back in there who what did sims fumble on his first like play back back in the game that i've seen him like since the first you know the first or second game of the season i mean it's right really strange putting him in yeah at this point, I don't know I, what I don't know what that accomplishes. Why did you do that? Like, yeah, I that, don't know. <laughs> like, he's a liability, and I, you know, I'm sorry, but like, that's just the truth. And so, I don't know, man. But defensively, Nebraska obviously fantastic. Their coverage downfield was incredible. Their their pressure on card all day was fantastic. And then that block field goal for a TD, dude. I mean, that was that was you can't write it better than that. So that was yeah, fantastic, that's impressive but, stuff. But Purdue, man, I, you know, again, they too had their own fair share of turnovers. Uh, you know, Card, I give, you know, man, nobody plays with more heart on that field than he than he did that um, on Saturday, and he just refuses to give up on these plays, man, because he's, I think, he's just trying to make something happen. But um, <clears throat> overall, the running game, like you said, wasn't too terribly effective. Um, it, but it also doesn't help Card when there was just there were quite a few drop passes as well um, when he did get it on the numbers. So that that kind of you know that sucks too. But defensively, I think they did an okay job. They did a pretty good job uh, stopping the run. But yeah, it just wasn't quite enough, man. You know, so I don't know. I, Purdue is is in a bind right now. 
yeah, my question is where does Purdue go from here? Yeah. They seem to getting be getting worse and less competitive than they were earlier in the season. Yeah. I mean, where's the team that that blew Illinois out, you know? Mm-hmm. And Purdue needed very short fields just to score 14 points. Yeah. And almost beat Iowa, too. Like, I mean, they they've yeah. played well. They were right there. Mm-hmm. So we don't know where that team seems to be missing in action. Teams get better and worse as the as the season goes on, and Purdue seems to be getting worse. And, and it's and not going to help next week. They're playing Michigan, so that's going to be brutal. Oh, that's rough. And it's like, why are they, you know, I just think, why are the Boilermakers totally unable to move the football? It's just that offensive line. That's it. That's yeah. it. Like, if you can't block, you know, this is a game of blocking and tackling. It's a simple game, ultimately, when you break it down. It's one, it's one of the most complex games in the world, but ultimately, you are blocking and you are tackling. And if you cannot block or you cannot tackle, it's going to be a hard time. Yeah, because there's they have talent at the skill positions, man. They can. Yes. It's just that offensive line. That's what we come back to every single week. Yeah, and I, yeah, I don't, I don't know, I, yeah, I don't know where it gets better for Purdue either, because they're playing a lot of teams that are really competent on the line of scrimmage, and that yep. makes it tough. But full credits to Nebraska, though, man. They're, yes. They continue to win their way. Three like game I, winning I, streak. Yep. They they're back in it in, you know, in the talk of the, you know, the West Division for the first time in years. So first time since Pelini. Yeah. So good on you, Nebraska. Good on Matt Rule. Yeah, he's a good coach. Just don't put Sims back in. I don't that. That's my only issue. Why did you do that? But anyways, that. Yeah, I feel like you only do that if Harbor gets hurt. Yeah. Or it's a blowout and you're trying to get somebody, you know, getting him reps like as a backup in a blowout. Like, I'm okay with that, too, obviously. Yeah. Um, So Nebraska's D looks great. The offense continues to sputter a bit a bit. I mean, they are winning games, but I don't know if they need to be worried about that. And if but they're but like you said, John, they committed to the bit. They're going to run the ball. They're going to keep running the ball, whether it works or not. And they're going to play great defense and try to beat you that way. Yep. And it's working for him. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, periodically it opens up a great pass downfield, man. I mean, we, it's not the first time we've seen Harburg do something like that. So it's true. It doesn't happen often, but when it does, it works well. When a team runs the ball that much, when they finally do pass the ball, the defenses aren't ready for it because you, you start sitting on the run and, and defense and defensive backs get used to taking their first steps forward to attack downhill. And then they take a forward couple steps and then all of a sudden they're out of position. The ball's flying over their head. Yeah. Wow. So it, it works. It works what they're doing. It's Absolutely. not, it's not the, it's not the popular way to do it anymore, but it's certainly a way to do it and make it work. Yeah. Well, rules rule is he's taking what he's got and he's doing the best he can with it. And he's and yes. that's pretty darn good right now. Absolutely. I agree. With the win, Nebraska moves to five and three, John, nearing bowl eligibility for the first time in a long, long time. So wow. good for the Cornhuskers there. And uh, right. with the loss, Purdue Boilermakers dropped to two and six. All right, next up, we have the Minnesota Golden Gophers, 27, the Michigan State Spartans, 12. Total yards, Minnesota had 400. To Sparty's 299. A lot of Michigan State's yards came late after the game was decided. So the yards differential was probably even more lopsided than the stats suggest, I would say. Um, and they were fairly lopsided just from the stats. Um, 
Minnesota ran a lot more plays than Michigan State did with 72 plays to Sparty's 55 plays. Minnesota's D was rock solid and controlled this game throughout outside of one second half drive with the new QB was a standout performance from that Minnesota defense. And we will have to talk about that a lot. Yeah. Uh, Gophers had two early turnovers and three total. So that was not so good. Uh, Minnesota did hold Michigan state to just six points on those two field goals though, or on two field goal attempts after turning the ball over deep in their own territory on their first two drives. So that was the difference in this game. Because Michigan State had the ball gifted to him on a silver platter, they or they made, they, I mean, they made plays. They made plays to get those turnovers. Not going to deny that, but they had two good chances to score touchdowns. And if Minis- Michigan State scores ten or fourteen points instead of six, then the Gophers are coming back from behind all day, and it's a totally different ball game. So you have to give a lot of credit to Joe Rossi's defense for playing phenomenal ball all day from the very jump, even when put in difficult situations. Yeah. Uh, from Michigan State side, they turned it over twice, so it was not a clean day on what was a cold day in Dinkytown. Uh, Michigan State's two QBs combined to go 20 for 34 for 190 yards on just 5.6 yards per attempt. Levitt threw one TD and one pick. Sparty struggled to run the ball. Their bell cow, Nathan Carter, had just 44 yards rushing on 11 attempts. He was not um, that effective due to a strong effort from the Minnesota defense. Montori Foster and Trey Mosley led Sparty with a combined 106 yards on seven receptions. So they played well, but nobody else was able to contribute much to the offensive effort. For Minnesota, Ethan Kaliak Manis had his best game in quite a while, throwing for 200 yards on 14 for 22 attempts and 9.1 yards per attempt. So Minnesota's passing offense was both efficient and it was explosive at times. For a Minnesota team down to its fourth and fifth running backs, John, the Gopher running game was great. Former walk-on Jordan Newbin had 40 carries for 204 yards for 5.1 yards per rush and two touchdowns. This guy had virtually no experience heading into the game, but due to an early fumble from Sean Tyler, Newbin became the star running back for an afternoon in Dinkytown. John, guys like Jordan Newbin embody what college football is supposed to be about. This guy had no hype came to Minnesota as a walk-on, quietly earned a scholarship, while his brother became a big star, and then when his number was called, Newbin was ready to have a monster day. So yeah. I love that's what I love about college football stories like what Jordan Newbin did the, did yesterday. It was absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, Daniel Jackson had a fantastic day receiving with seven catches for 120 yards and a touchdown. Jackson was spectacular all game. Nobody else had a big day receiving, but Brevin Span Ford had an impressive 30-yard grab to advance a big Minnesota scoring drive. Uh, what are your thoughts on this uh, game, John? Well, I am very happy. Um, I was not <laughs> early in the game. Obviously, I was uh, you know feeling awful about it. I was not happy with the offensive coordinator play calling. I wasn't. You know, I, it was a lot of the same run, run, pass, punt, um, which we've been getting used to. And then obviously, you know, early on, the pass protection was not great. Um, it, it took a yeah. while for, for that to get going. And, and Nathan was making mistakes all over the place. And so it didn't look good, um, you know, but after all of that, you know, it seemed to Ethan settle down. The whole team seemed to kind of get into a groove. And yeah, man, I mean, Jordan Newbin, I mean, he just came out of nowhere 
you know, we've heard, you know, through camps and stuff like that, that he's been he's been good and he's solid. But I, I we didn't know that he was going to look this good. And it's just a relief to have that amount of depth in your running back room. You know, with you got now you've got Darius Taylor, you've got Zach Evans and now Jordan Newbin. I mean, it's I can't wait until everybody's healthy because um, this running game is just going to be lethal. So. You know, my main issue still with the offense is just I need more, you know, even though Ethan had a better day today, he did. Absolutely. I still want to see him to be more consistent. Um, It's just he's just still turning over the ball too much. He's taking risky throws. He does not want to throw the ball away. And I don't know why he doesn't do that when he can. I, I don't I don't understand it. He holds on to it forever and he just takes a sack all the time when he can throw the ball away. Um you know, without taking it intentional grounding, but he, that's just, he's just got to learn. So I know he's, he's still young, but hopefully he can get there, but the receivers looked good, man. Daniel Jackson, just doing what he does all the time. He's so good. He's so good. I mean, just fantastic. Not talked about enough either. Like, you know, I, I think he needs, he deserves a little bit more attention as well. Um, but yeah, and it was good to see Brevin like do what we know he can do. I know yes. it was just that one play, but it was like that's that's what that we was, it was a really tough play to make though, John. It was impressive. And it was a 30-yard, it was second and 19. It was a 30-yard gain on second and 19. Yeah. So, it was they needed it. It advanced a scoring drive. It was a big play and I to me it that signaled that he's back a little bit. It and made me happy. Back, yeah, maybe a guy that you can look to count on going forward. So that was exciting to see. Absolutely. And I hope it gets him some some confidence back. And, and so hopefully we'll see him to, you know, more involved and, you know, look, look a lot better here moving forward. But defensively, dude, first of all, thank God Lindenberg is back. He's back. He made that he made it clear he was back too early. Oh, dude, he can really cover ground. <laughs> yes, he can. It was such it was so nice to know that he's back not even just to make plays but just just know that there's some solid leadership and experience in that linebacking core which now obviously now you're looking at baronowski and and the rest of the guys and you're like oh well like you know this is going to pay off in, in the future obviously um but to have lindenberg back is is a big deal so and then our, our d line was looking good you know they i know there's still some issues on you know finishing out and getting sacks but like they're constantly getting pressure on the quarterback and they were shutting down the run. Minnesota's run defense continues to be incredible. I understand that, as we saw later in the game, for some reason they have a hell of a time dealing with a mobile quarterback. But when it comes to they dealing have a hard with, time with that, sometimes yeah, yeah. But but when it comes to de- shutting down running backs, nobody's doing it better. They're doing to be fa- they're fair doing though. You spend a whole week getting ready for the starter. And then yeah. the starter comes out and the backup is. And how much time did you spend on the backup? Not much. That's true. So I feel like there's a reason backup quarterbacks often come in and have success. And it's because, you know, they're not ready. They're doing their skill sets a little different. And they're, you know, the other team isn't ready for what they're going to do. That's true. But like, you know, we saw it have having issues, obviously, with UNC, with Louisiana, even, um, you know, like it's just for some reason that's uh, and I don't know why. I don't know why. Um, but well, it's, can figure that out. it's tough when a guy can run and throw the ball and, and be dangerous. That's hard. That's just hard. Yeah. It's just but, they're great athletes who play this game and it makes it tough because you that have is to true. tackle them, too. But uh, Michigan State, though, dude. I mean, just couldn't get anything going. 
I, I, I no. It was rough. I was expecting a little bit more from Carter, um, but you know he Me was too. having. There was nobody blocking for him. He couldn't get any open lanes. Um, you know, Hauser was also you know very inconsistent. Uh, you know, they're but they're like pass. To be pro fair, was, he was running for his life out there. He was. He was. You know, and, and like early, you know, later on, it looked like they were getting a little bit better with pass pro and like picking up some blitzes. But still, it just wasn't. It just wasn't good enough. And 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 he was just he wasn't accurate. His even when he was, his receivers weren't were dropping passes left and right, so he couldn't get any help anywhere. But defensively, you know, I thought overall they had you know most of the game they looked good with coverage downfield. They were getting decent pressure on Minnesota, especially early on, um, getting those sacks and causing those fumbles. You know, and they came out early in the second half, you know, blitzing and and after, I think you know after they saw Ethan got kind of dinged up there, but. Uh, that didn't stop them. You know, we, we, uh, Minnesota late, um, leaned on the run and they're, you know, unfortunately for Sparty, they just didn't have an answer. Yeah. I thought the key moment in the game came before halftime when the Gophers got the ball on their own six yard line and Ethan led a eight, an eight play 94 yard touchdown drive that, 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 that grinded out those, that, almost perfectly disposed of those last three minutes of the half. Yeah. And that changed the game and it gave Minnesota a 10, six lead. And it felt like after that point, Minnesota was in control of the game. And, and you, you kind of knew that the Gophers were going to win. Yeah, I agree. Totally. Especially once you continue to see that offense just sputter out and, and just go three and out over and over and over again. So well, that's I, what I'm saying. When yeah. you saw once Minnesota's offense figured some things out, you know, you knew Michigan State wasn't going to do anything because they hadn't been able to do anything, do anything. Yeah. And it yeah. was, uh, you know, I have to you have to give it up. Minnesota's offense finally got going in a big way to the tune of 400 yards split evenly, 200 rush, 200 pass. That was a, outside of the turnovers. That was a really elite offensive performance, let me say. Sure. And they do need to clean up the turnovers. But. What do you think about where the Minnesota offense is and is going? And I feel like this is the most encouraging performance we've seen probably all season. You know, I, I mean, this is definitely encouraging. I I've, I've had, you know, good feelings about our run game for, uh, you know, for the majority of the season, obviously with the rise of Darius Taylor and Zach Evans and now Jordan Newbin, which I was very nervous about um, going. Oh yeah. I was terrified. I was like, Oh great. Like this, this could be it. And that's no offense to Jordan Newbin, but anytime you're on the fourth and fifth person at a position, yeah, any position, that's yeah. nerve wracking. And a position like running back, that's so important. Um, that's such a key position. That's, you know, that's something you can, if you have other guys, it's hard to scheme around having a bad running back. Well, and especially with Minnesota's offense is designed, you know, around these running backs. That's what, you know, yeah. essentially that's what, what Minnesota does is they run the ball and, um, obviously we, I think they didn't, they don't want it to be that way. They'd love to be able to, to, you know, focus a lot more on Ethan in the passing game. But like I said, my issue still, you know, he looked a lot better, but I'm still seeing some inconsistency, but I also am not sure that the offensive coordinator is very helpful. Um, so I don't know what to do with that. You know, you saw the game from a different perspective than I did, but I feel like that, uh, the play calling can be problematic sometimes. I thought the play calling was pretty good yesterday. I thought they did the right stuff. They they realized when Michigan State got tired in the on the line of scrimmage and they just started hammering them. Yeah. You know, 
because Sparty did get outplayed on the line of scrimmage in this game. The first half was pretty competitive, but in the second half, Minnesota started pushing Michigan State around and dominated them up front. And, you know, so many games are won in the trenches. Minnesota won in the trenches. Yeah. So I, I did think it was encouraging, but no, I agree. They have to be more consistent and they have to eliminate the turnovers. That's, yeah. they are not, they're not a, an, yeah, it's just, you can't turn the ball over like that and think you're going to win some of these games you have coming up because there's tough competition coming down the pike. Absolutely. I mean, even next week, you know, uh, yes. I know Illinois has been down, but like this could, they're still dangerous too. So Illinois is a dangerous from- game. And if Johnny Newton doesn't get ejected, they beat Wisconsin. Yes. Yeah. They were up three scores. Wisconsin scored three times after he went out. He's a guy who wrecks your whole, he's a guy who wrecks your whole offense by himself. Absolutely. That's so this, you got to get some kind of passing game. You got to just be consistent and you can't make stupid mistakes like that. That's, that's, that's where I say, because Biloma for some, he's got Minnesota's number. So. I mean, it's been two games against PJ. Let's not, let's not give him, let's not go back to the Wisconsin days under a different (laughs) coaching staff and pretend like that's relevant. All right. I'm, I'm dealing with a little PTSD from that. So I'm sorry. You know, like it's just, it's hard for me to separate sometimes, but you're right. You are right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so questions I have coming out of this game. When will Darius be back? Because as good as Newbin was today, they really need Taylor as he's their most dynamic running back. So we heard rumblings that maybe they had good news about him. So maybe he'll be back against Illinois. Um, but that's a big that's going to be a big story going into next week. So I think we have to monitor that. Um, and then who does Sparty play at QB now? Levitt was pretty good in relief of Hauser and seems to be more athletic. Is it time to turn the reins to him? Is he going to be a guy who can move the ball a little better? Cause it's, I, you know, it's you're in, you're getting to, you might as well try something territory in, in East Lansing. I think they have to. And especially with like who they're playing that, you know, like coming up, like it, it's just, you, you gotta just throw something new. You know, they're playing Nebraska next week. And I think you know, you don't have anything to lose at this point. So give it a shot. Maybe with a more mobile, mobile QB um, who can really make some plays with his legs. Maybe you can make something happen. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. Minnesota was able to score 17 points in the fourth quarter and have now won three of their past four games. So the Gophers are getting, starting to put it together for a stretch run as they often do under PJ Fleck with the win. The Minnesota Golden Gophers go to five and three and are tied for the lead in the West Division at three and two. And with the loss, Michigan State Spartans drop to two and six. All right. Final game of the night. And this was the evening game yesterday. We had the number three, eight and oh, Ohio State Buckeyes 24. And the Wisconsin Badgers, 10. Total yards, Ohio State had 407. And Wisconsin, to Wisconsin's 259 for me. So from a yards perspective, this game was more lopsided than the score suggests it was. uh, Until fairly late, at least. Wisconsin really struggled offensively in this game with just 4.2 yards per attempt on passes and 3.8 yards per rush on runs. Ohio State had three first-half turnovers, which helped keep the game close into the second half. Kyle McCord for OSU went 17 of 26 for 226 yards, 8.7 yards per attempt, 
two TDs and two interceptions. And they were really bad picks, which killed promising drives. QBR was just 56. So it was a, it was a rough night for Kyle McCord, even though he ended up, he still ended up with a stat line that looks pretty good outside the picks. Right. But it was a rough night for him, especially in the first half. He just did not play very well. Travion Henderson, by contrast, had a fantastic day with 162 yards rushing on 6.8 yards per rush for the Buckeyes. Uh, featured, uh, highlighted by a 33-yard touchdown run. Wide receiver Marvin Harrison is the best player in the country. I'm running out of things to say about him, but he had 123 yards receiving and two TDs on just six catches for an insane 20.5 yards per catch. John, I'm just out of superlatives to describe Harrison. If the season ha- if the season ended today, I think he should be a Heisman finalist. And if it were up to me, he would win the Heisman Trophy. Yes. And I'm not big on Heisman speculation generally because, you know, you and I kind of live in the regular season, live in the moment. And we aren't always looking ahead like all these annoying other pundits are. Yeah. Um, like we're not focusing already on the college football playoff, you know. No. Weeks out. It's October. I, I, hate I hate that. It's October. I don't care. I don't care who's going to be in the college football playoff. I care what's going to happen in all these games because all these games are meaningful because college football has the most meaningful regular season of any sport, period. There you go. All right. Ooh, I wasn't planning to go on that rant. That was fun. (laughs) We'll hit that later. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nobody else had a big day receiving for Ohio State outside of uh, Harrison other than running back Travion Henderson at 45 yards receiving to go with his big rushing day, which means Travion Henderson had over 200 yards from scrimmage Saturday. John, it is safe to say that Ohio State is a more dangerous team when Travion Henderson is in the game. It's great to see him healthy and picking up right where he left off. Yeah. On defense, defensive tackle Tyler Williams had four tackles a sack and two tackles for loss, so big day for him. Shout out there. Uh, for Wisconsin, John, Braden Locke just went went just 18 for 39 for 165 yards on 4.2 yards per attempt and one touchdown. Was a rough day for him against this incredible Ohio State defense. Braylon Allen had 50 yards rushing on a 5.5 yards per rush average before he got banged up and had to leave the game, so he missed the second half, unfortunately. We certainly hope he's okay. Will Pauling and Bryson Green led Wisconsin with a combined 97 yards receiving. Nobody else made much noise, though. Uh, my thoughts on the game. Badgers competed hard on defense. You have to give them credit for keeping this explosive Buckeye offense in check. Sure. Yep. Kyle McCord got off to a bad start with a terrible red zone pick and some bad balls to open receivers, but he was able to rally and play a lot better as the game went on. And I thought, John, the key moment of the game, this kind of the theme of the, the night, actually, um, was goal line stands mm-hmm. and the Buckeyes had a big goal line stand late in the second quarter when the game was still close, when they held Wisconsin to a field goal, Wisconsin had, I think first and goal on the one and ended up kicking a field goal. Yep. It was huge. So that was huge, huge in this game. Uh, John, what are your thoughts in this game? Well, yeah, I, I was a little confused, uh, early on. Um, yeah, at first, yes. Let me just, before I even say this full credit to Wisconsin's defense, I think they played very, very, very well against this, uh, this very dangerous Ohio state offense. They did a very good job better than most. Um, so I got to give credit for that, but this, you know, leads me into McCord and, you know, he was, he was making some, 
you know, dumb mistakes early on. Uh, and like the, you know, the O-line, I, they were doing okay. They were fine. I think in, and obviously, you know, talked about Harrison jr. But I, I think what I noticed later on in the game though, is I don't know if you saw this, but like McCord, he, he had something with his left leg. I don't know if he was playing a little limpy, a little gimpy throughout he the game. Limpy. He looked I think limpy. so. Yeah. And so that, that may be a reason why, like he just like, just something looked off man. And, and that to me. And then when I saw that later in like, I think the second half, I saw him kind of limping around. I was like, oh, okay. All right. Maybe this is what's going on. Um, but still, you know, they, they play, they obviously did enough to win this game. Um, and then some, and their defense played well, you know, uh, like we talked about these goal line stands, fantastic. Um, you know, they, they even looked pretty good. Even when Allen was healthy, um, you know, they looked pretty solid. They were shutting down the pass game pretty well too, even though like I do have to give credit to Wisconsin's offense and their new QB. He, he still facing against facing off against this Ohio state defense. He still looked pretty darn good. You know, I, I was, and he also has the ability to hurt you with his legs. I mean, he had a, that big run at the start of the second half. Um, he's playing smart. He, he does make, he does throw the ball away when he's supposed to. He, he knows when to improvise with his legs. He throws a good ball on the run. I mean, he's, he's definitely got some talent and I think he's continuing to improve. Um, although I, but I will say this with Allen though, um, when he, you know, he, he's still fumbling the ball more than I think than I'm, than I feel like he should be. And this has been a thing, a theme with him over the years. And, I don't know what's up with that, but um, obviously I know he went out with the injury and yes, absolutely. We hope he's okay. But yeah, man, um, I thought, I also thought that Wisconsin's offensive line held their ground pretty well against uh, Ohio State's D line. I thought they did okay. They protected Locke pretty well. So I was very impressed with that. They've gotten better as well. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, and their defense is, is showing up okay, man. They were they were pretty solid, I thought. Um, and they they did a good job stopping the run up the middle. I think, you know, once Henderson would get outside, that was, you know, game over pretty much. And then Hunter Waller had another great game. He was all over the field. As every week. Had, every week. Every week, absolutely. Yeah. That's the only so, reason I stopped bringing him up every week, because he does it every week. Absolutely. He's consistent, we man. talk He's, about it. Yeah. Yeah, and so you know, and then I guess overall, dude, I think their de- their defense was be able to get pressure on them too, and and just I thought they were solid. So Wisconsin, you put up a really valiant effort against a very very good team. You have nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, Braden Locke had his moments for sure where he was really good. I will say he was a little lucky he didn't throw multiple picks to last night. Oh. OSU's DBs dropped a lot of potential picks and Ohio state in in the big games that are coming up, I think Ohio state's going to have to make some of those, those DBs. They need them to make some of those plays. So that's, that's my tiny nitpick. This Buckeye defense. Fantastic. Did an awesome job. Give them all the credit. My tiny nitpick is when you get a chance for an interception, you got to make a play more often than not. Um, I thought, Give all credit to Wisconsin. I do agree with you. Their defense was great. Their offense held up. All right. They're on the line of scrimmage. They held up a lot better than I thought they would going into the game for sure. And for most of the game held, you know, held pretty tough. Um, But this Buckeye defense just at a certain point, 
They haven't allowed any opponent to score more than 17 points all year, despite playing tough teams like Notre Dame and Penn State. Yeah. I mean, you know, we talked about the goal line stand where Wisconsin had first and goal from the one had to settle for a field goal. It's, you know, they keep making these plays and this Buckeye defense is getting to be, it's interesting because there's not like the one, we said this before, there's not like, it's not like a Chase Young or a Bosa brother who's like the face of it. It's just a lot of guys who are really good playing really well together. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the question is about Wisconsin is, is Braylon Allen okay? Because they really need him. He's their most dynamic offensive player. And yeah. uh, Kim Ray DK got hurt later as well. And so we hope he's okay too. But yeah, my question is Braylon Allen, you know, do they have him? Because if they don't have him, the the running game does not look the same without him. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, next week they're, they're playing Indiana and we just talked about how well they're playing. So Indiana just played their best game of the year. I mean, they lost, but they just played their best game of the year. I thought. Yeah. So I, I'm not, I still expect Wisconsin to win, but I think it's going to be a hell of a lot harder without Braylon Allen in that backfield. Yeah. So we hope he's okay. Hopefully he'll be able to go. And then, uh, my question is will Ohio state show up motivated next week or will they sleep throw walk through another first half like they did against Wisconsin? Because the Buckeyes just, they did not, I think Ohio state and Penn state both were really suffering from, from what they put into last week. So we got to see Buckeyes. I, so I think, I kind of think they'll both bounce back next week, both yeah. Ohio state and Penn state. Um, but yeah, a lot of credit. It was a really fun game to watch. This was an exciting, entertaining game. So that was fun. With the win, Ohio State moves to eight and zero. With the loss, Wisconsin drops to five and three. And now the battle of the Big Ten West has officially begun. It's on. (laughs) It's on, and there's a lot of teams that think that they can win the Big Ten West right now, and they're all they've all got an argument. Yep. (sighs) All right. Well. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everybody. John, is there anything else you want to announce before we get out of here? Absolutely, yeah. Once again, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Podcast Addict. You can find us on Twitter at we live for B1G Sat, and you can also email us we live for Saturday B1G at gmail.com. All right. Well, thanks again for rocking with us. We had a great time reviewing these week nine games. We will be back on Wednesday to talk about next week's games, which are going to be awesome. And with teams off bye weeks now, we're going to have a lot of football to talk about. So that's exciting. Yeah, man. Host Mike. So thanks for uh, staying with us. And John, you guys take care. We'll talk. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you later.